1: Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack Podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation in startups. Today, I'm talking to my new friend, David Freeman, who is the founder of Freestar, which is an ad tech company with over 200 uh, employees, has never raised a dollar of equity, and um, I think he actually might have t- taken a little bit of money in the beginning, but not anything real big, and um, he did what every smart guy does in Phoenix, which is, is he moved to a better spot, and uh, which I don't blame him for, but today I'm, we're going to talk all about um, advertising technology, we're going to talk about company building and value creation. David, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: David, how did you get your start?
0: Huh. My start was just your, your typical entrepreneurial journey. Um, I went to Arizona State University and my senior year had come up with an idea of a college swimsuit calendar of all things. And the real premise behind it was a marketing vehicle for businesses to get in front of the elusive college student. We sold ads to local businesses, gave these out for free to students, and Next thing you know, it really took off at 500,000 copies at 21 schools and started driving a ton of visitors to my website, but I had no idea how to make money online and got kind of over-promised and under-delivered one too many times from people all, uh, you know, with the same pitch and started to figure out the monetization side of the, uh, the puzzle, so to speak. And that is what launched Freestar was really a need to help publishers, uh, maximize their audience from, from a revenue standpoint and really allow them to do what they do best, which is great, build content, build these communities and drive traffic to their site, but then have this engine on the back end that gives them a world-class ad operations um, setup.
1: Great. And you did this at first with these, you know, these poor girls that were struggling to pay for their books and wanted to, you know, do swimsuit calendar.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know about that. I I think they were they were all intelligent, 3.0 GPA or higher that uh, you know wanted some exposure, meet some people, and uh, get out there and and uh, have a have a great experience. But it, it really is what led to this was kind of uh, you know figuring out that it was you know, I, I was that publisher that really didn't understand what I was doing from from kind of driving digital revenue and you know this was early 2000s when um it seemed like a pipe dream that you could really make money on online from from advertising as well everything was very very much print driven and obviously in the world we're in today that is uh has made uh, quite a shift
1: yeah and so when you went it so what was the what was the leap and the, you know the chasm that you jumped from print to digital and what did that kind of look like for you
0: the digital was was almost by accident, if you will. I mean, we had all these images at that time um, from from kind of shooting the actual print publication. So we put them up on the site, and it's, it just really really took off.
1: Got it. And and so you were basically building you're building these these sites that you were really just trying to flip, right? You were you know you were trying to get the get a bunch of traffic to these sites and monetize them and, and then flip them. Cause I remember that was, that was kind of a space for, a, for a while was these kind of website building these websites. And, um, and that didn't turn out very good for you. Right.
0: Yeah. So when, when I first started FreeStar, the, the real idea was, um, we discovered this, this technology that really is kind of powers, what we do now called header bidding, which, um, basically every time an ad appears on the internet, there's a real time auction happening. So in the blink of an eye, when you see that on the internet, that, that ad's actually been auctioned off. And this header bidding technology that's become standard, we kind of had a first mover advantage. So the original um, idea behind the business was we were just going to buy some websites, implement this technology, increase revenue, and sell them off, kind of like flipping real estate, buying a you know under undervalued asset and and, you know put on a new coat of paint, so to speak, and some better countertops and and make a profit. And what uh, I figured out very quickly was really not good at content, and started driving these into the ground because. Well, I'm great at the monetization side, um, not great at driving driving the traffic on kind of just general websites. So, yes, originally we pretty much pivoted to the model we are in today, which is being a fully managed solution for these publishers. Uh, we did that out of necessity of staying alive because we were about to go out of business.
1: I'm curious to know, like, what did what did those sites sell for that you were able to monetize? Like, I know you you weren't you know, like really, really successful
0: at it. But I mean, how are those things traded back in the day? It, it will depend a little bit on, on the types of sites that they are, but I think you're usually looking at about a three to five time multiple is, is what a, I'd say a, a typical website will sell for. That's
1: pretty good on, re, on top line ad revenue. On, on uh, EBITDA. Oh, on EBITDA. Okay. Yeah. That's not so good. But I mean, like, I mean, like, I mean, how much, I mean, there wasn't a ton of, well, I guess there was, if you were making a lot of content. So, so I guess the last question I did is who's powering these ad networks back then? And is it the same today? And how has the advertising technology landscape evolved
0: since you've been in the business? The entire advertising landscape has changed a lot. Some the players come and go. A lot of them are still the same players, but the way they compete, um and the way um publishers monetize is what has really changed. So originally when I when I was a publisher, um call it version 1.0 of ad serving, just starting a website, want to pick some money, probably gonna contact Google, get some AdSense code, put it on your site, and start making some money. Very simple, easy to do. Um and you're basically if you don't have a lot of traffic, it's gonna produce some revenue. Um, but as your as your business starts to scale, what you really want is is competition right is is it's think of eBay in, in the sense of this auction is happening every single time somebody's coming to your site so you want extra extra players in there competing with it and driving up the cost of of these auctions and so if version 1.0 of ad serving was which just put adsense on a site start making some money version 2 was was what was referred to as a waterfall setup and this is where people would institute an ad server Um, Google ad manager being the primary ad server that controls probably 90 plus percent of the internet. And what you would do is work with different um, ad networks also referred to as SSPs. And what they, what you would do at that time was, let's say you would work with five different partners. You would constantly be putting, it it was referred to as, as, as a waterfall. So you would kind of pick who would be number one, who would be number two, number three, number four, number five. So I think putting this in, in kind of a easy to understand way, like if, if you were selling a car at a car auction and you had what you would think of is, Hey, this car comes up, everyone raises their hand. It goes to the highest bidder. Okay. Well, back then really what it was was favoring saying, Hey, you have bought a lot of cars. I'm going to go to you first. You give me $20,000. It doesn't matter if the next person was going to pay $25,000. They had that kind of that first look, they got to take it. But if they didn't, then it would be passed back to the next person on the next person, the next person. It's just a very inefficient auction, right? You're, you're basically trying to use historical data to guess if that person's going to pay the most in that millisecond. So the introduction of, of what is referred to as header bidding, what I kind of mentioned before, is this real-time auction. What you think of as, as an efficient place when you have that car going up on stage and everyone raising their hand and really auctioning off to the highest bidder. So while the actual ad network's maybe come or go and they're, some are the same, some are reinvented or, or, you know, new companies, what really changed is the fact that they all needed to compete in, in a real time auction or to win those bids. So that was a great change for publishers because it created competition and drove up the price. And it wasn't as great for the ad networks. Cause all of a sudden everyone's almost on an even playing field and really needing to kind of, you know, bring, bring their a game, so to speak.
1: I can't believe that you didn't think that was interesting. That was, like, incredibly interesting to me. Maybe I'm, like, an incredibly boring person. But so, essentially, you had to waterfall these networks in order to go to first, second, and third on who, like, what batch of customers would bid, essentially, for this space or this time. And would you say that the inefficiency was a technological inefficiency, or is it just, like, a business model distribution inefficiency?
0: It was a designed-by-Google inefficiency. Um, the one thing I didn't mention in there was Google because they cl- controlled the ad server. So whenever you got that highest bid right before it would basically display that ad, Google could then come and say, you know what, that what bids at, let's say $2, we'll pay two oh one. It was a second price auction where they got to pay just one penny higher than the highest bid. They didn't really need to have skin in the game and bid. And that's a lot of the beauty, if you will, behind the genius of, of Google from the advertising side of it is. Not only are they the biggest buyer of advertising, but they also control the actual auction. So some might say uh there's an unfair advantage there. And <laughs> the header bidding technology <laughs> header bidding technology that came out is, anyone can look it up. It's free bid is is kind of the open source technology um that everyone leverages. And the fact that this is open source, no one controls it, it's created a much more even playing ground. There's there's a a, a uh, antitrust lawsuit going on between the government and Google right now, specifically kind of a lot of that has to do about editing, um, Facebook and Google did their best to kind of kill this product off because they knew it was going to be the only thing that brought real competition to them. And it was a snowball rolling too fast downhill. That just couldn't be stopped. Um, and is, is really now you know, 90 plus percent of, of websites and the internet are leveraging this technology Google is still now part of that auction, but once again, it's putting everyone on a much more even playing field where they all actually need to compete in, in real time
1: and now is it was that because of the beauty of open source like kind of the, that particular company or is it the technology that really enabled it
0: it it's kind of both but the, the fact that it is open source and there's no hidden agenda there's right yeah. there's, there's no ownership to this the entire um, industry can can continue to add to um, the greater the good of it, and, and help yeah, the greater good, and help help solve problems together versus being reliant on you know one or two companies to hopefully do you know what's best for everyone.
1: Yeah, and so despite you know that there's a lot more of an even playing field, there's still a big opportunity in the market for companies like yours to work with publishers. And um, solve some of this rubric of of, and of you know basically monetization and efficiency within sites. So how do you offer? Like, what are the services that you offer your customers? And you know, like how how is that offering um, delivered?
0: Yeah, so what, what we offer is, is a fully managed solution. So really top to bottom, everything you need to do monetization in a box almost. If, if you think of it that way, that allows publishers to go invest in. Know, journalism and engineers to, to kind of build this amazing website, um, but have the power of, of a world-class kind of technology behind the scenes. And uh, I've, I've never seen an industry move faster than the ad tech industry. Um, you know, what we were doing six months ago, there's a good chance that's outdated. So it, it is not a set in and forget it. And that's really one of the challenges mm-hmm. too, is if you're not living and breathing every single day, you're, you're really being left behind. And I'd say outside of your top, probably, you know, 25, 50 publishers on the internet, the the CNNs of the world that can justify the amount of resources needed to really do this at a, at a specific level. You need, right. You need data scientists, machine learning, you need revenue operations, you need relationships. Um, you need a ongoing kind of mentality of always wanting to test and continue to drive things forward because there's, there's so many inefficiencies in the entire digital advertising ecosystem. And while, you know, opportunities are always arising in different ways or new complexities or more challenges are always presenting themselves right now. I think everyone always continues to hear about right. A populist world and, and data protection and right. And up until today, basically you know all of the marketers that are they're buying ad dollars are, are leveraging cookies and targeting, kind of pulling in this data to make their their ad buys um, as efficient as possible for them. And at the end of next year, cookies are going to be completely deprecated. Uh, this this is introducing a whole new kind of challenge for publishers and that's something that right that's part of our responsibility of of being their actual monetization partner is everything that what i like to call is like impacts the monetization ecosystem is really something that we're looking at we're testing and we're trying to take off their plate so they can continue to go invest resources in the right places they need for their business
1: yeah because i mean they're in the business of Getting the audience to the site, not necessarily figuring out this other piece in which you have technology and services to really help leverage that. Um, I love the fact that this is kind of, you know, a a constantly evolving field. Um, So cookies are going away next year. I you know the the um the, the latest operating system on apple no longer allows you to track right on on cookies on phones right through social so what is the next you know 12 to 24 months going to look like for advertising how how are they going to be able to get this you know this audience data in order to effectively reach people how do you what do you think is going to happen through the you know in the industry
0: So uh, I think the real answer is nobody has a clue. Um, (laughs) The every every day there's a new solution that's going to save the world is, is invented. And uh, my personal opinion is there's not going to be a solution, but kind of a hybrid of of multiple solutions that that are out there. And we're, you know, we're actively testing a lot of these things. Um, But there's a, there's a big unknown because while you're correct in, you know, Apple has already kind of killed off the cookie. um, When I say it's, it's getting deprecated next year. Let's really specifically talk around like the Chrome browser, which still controls the majority of, of actual internet usage. So from an advertiser perspective, it's hard to also say, you know, what is this cookie, this world going to look like? Cause right now if you go to an advertiser and they have the option, which they do to buy a cookie or not, you know, buy a cookie, they're, they're going to still leverage that, right? It's a, not only effective, it's, it's what they know it's what they build their systems around. Um, so it's, it's hard to kind of predict, what that's going to look like, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting solutions out there. Um, And I think, you know, everything from contextual advertising, which is coming back in in into Vogue a little bit to um, pretty more kind of audience segmentations and profiles around general audiences. So it being a little less exactly people-based, but more kind of general based it's, it's it's why I love this industry is you never sit still and you know if you if you do, you're you're gonna be out of business. Um, and you gotta continue to kind of just test and and see what's out there and, and kind of question question everything and be open to testing everything at this exact.
1: Philosophically, do you agree with all this privacy and, and cookie blocking from um,
0: a human perspective? you want know, my personal opinion? I, I, I don't really like, I don't care. (laughs) I I guess that's maybe oversimplified, but I'm, I know a lot of people get kind of very worked up over, Oh my God, they have all this data on me and I, and I get that as well. But I, from an advertising perspective, I I, I'll say Instagram is probably the the great example of it's, it's one of the few places I've been online where I see an ad and I'll click and then go buy it. It's, it's so dialed in. It's really good quality ads and it works plain and simple. I'd much rather see an ad for, you know, a new golf club, being a golfer than for, you know, a pair of, of women's shoes that, that obviously aren't intended for me. So I I see the benefits of it. I also get, you know, where people are concerned. Um, and I think it's a lot of, I think there's a lot of the, the lack of knowledge kind of in this, also make some things very scary. Um, and on the other side, I mean, yes, people should obviously have a right if they don't want to be tracked or to have their, you know, to, to have this going on, they should they should have a, an avenue out, if you will. But a big part of me, to be really honest with you, I think a lot of it's overblown.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, I like getting served ads that I'm interested in, <laughs> you know? I mean, I, you know, people like to buy stuff.
0: I agree. And I'm, I like being lazy on certain things. So like, if I looked at something and it just pops up in front of me and I couldn't remember where it was, like, that's a good experience to me. I, I personally enjoy that. Uh, but everyone's, we live in a, in a world where a lot of things are either get become, I think, politicized, um, or overblown. And the reality is, the world is, is is going that direction and, you know, us as a company just needs to be prepared for it. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and I think you do have an option, right? You can always go on stealth mode or, you know, VPNs or whatever. I don't know like how much that affects the actual like cookies and stuff on social, but, you know, I feel like if you want to not have your data tracked, that's an option. I would agree. Um, So, you know, I don't like doing generic kind of topics, but I do have to ask, where do you see, you know, generative AI on content creation as it pertains to advertising? Are you thinking about that at all? Especially around SEO keywords and...
0: I I think it's a very interesting and real threat and a huge, right? Like anything could be a threat or a benefit, depending... On how it's used, I do think it's gonna, it's gonna change a lot in, in kind of the, the publishing world. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, where that plays out, I've not sharp enough to, to know exactly how, you know, the, the cookie will crumble, but, um, I think specific types of, of publishers will be impacted much more than, than others. And that's something that we think about as a business too. even the type of websites we're going after. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, use recipes as an example. Um, you know, something that even if it isn't from a content creation standpoint, if, if you want to go to chat GPT and ask for great, you know, cookie recipe, will spit it out in a second. And it's just giving you the recipe a lot of websites have created a lot of fluff around the actual recipe to get people to scroll and digest more ads. And then sometimes a ton of ads just popping up in your face. And I think when it's not a good user experience and people, you know, have to click an X here and there to finally get to what they're actually coming to the site for. I think that is, is, is going to have a major impact, but I think that can also be an opportunity for some of those people to realize, Hey, like, is I do actually need to clean up this user experience because I do actually care about my user or they're going to, they're going to find out these other ways to go, you know, whether it's get that recipe or, or, um, or, you know, read different content. Uh, You know, I think how people are going to use that will will continue to innovate. I think it has so many applications that are going to be create new industries and and really be exciting publishing specifically. It's definitely going to shake, shake some things up.
1: Yeah. I mean it's so funny. It's like you see some pretty aggressive like recipe uh web pages, right? <laughs> you know, like you just get destroyed. Or like, you know, like book or movie recommendations, you know, like you can get you can get really hit up pretty hard with those ads.
0: And to be clear, that is uh that's the exact opposite of what we want to do when we're trying to monetize a website. We really do look at trying to right, it's it's not about how much money you're making on that on that single page it's what we refer to a lot as like revenue per session. So if you have a good user experience, that person's gonna click through more pages, spend more time on site, and you can make more order money. It doesn't even be making all of your money on that first page because you just threw the entire kitchen sink of them, of, of everything, in, and really cheapen your brand where people don't even wanna come back to your website because it's such a bad experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you seeing any um, any murmur around like linking ads to chat or like to LLM prompts? Ain't seen any like murmurs in that, in that space yet?
0: Not, not so much. Not uh, at least I haven't.
1: Yeah. I'm sure it's common, but I think, I think there's something to what you were saying is that at the end of the day, you know, I feel like people, it's human nature to try to aggressively push monetization where it's unnatural and you can probably get away with it for a little bit, but ultimately the customer experience will always win. And if a customer is gonna get a better experience, you know, GPTing a recipe versus going to a website, that website needs to evolve, right? Um and the consumer kind of usually always wins from that perspective.
0: Absolutely agree. And I think that's that's gonna be one of the benefits from this is people will need to change what they're doing in in a, I think a positive way for for the actual, you know, outcome for for users.
1: So we all know that the industry is changing. You guys are firing all cylinders. I'm sure that you're more excited about the business than anybody else. I'm sure there's no shortage of stuff, to challenges to overtake. I'm sure you're not bored. What are you looking forward to uh, at Freestar? I know you brought in, um, uh, a professional, I guess you, you are a professional, that'd be a, but like a outside CEO, a hired gun, (laughs) you know, you mean an unprofessional CEO, professional CEO, uh, wears a tie probably, you know, (laughs) has like a lot of PowerPoint slides. Um, but what, what's, what's, what's your role in the company now? and, And how do you foresee the company going forward?
0: be clear i don't think i've ever seen kurt R. C. O. ceo in a tie he's much more of a uh plaid shirt and a boat shoe type of guy so pretty pretty laid back so no no ties over here but um no part of bringing kurt in is you know i've this is this is my third company now i've never worked for anyone in my life um and i love kind of taking idea from an idea to reality and, and starting to scale that when you hit a certain amount of of scale both either you know employee and or revenue wise, th- there's a different level um, of, of systems and processes that need to be put into place that I, I quite frankly didn't have any experience with. And I think in my younger days, I was uh, a little immature in, in thinking I could just take on the world. I didn't need help from anyone. And I could just go figure it out. And I I got, you know, I, I got somewhat far on my own, but obviously not nearly as far as I am today with, with kind of reaching out and, and finding that, that help. So I think that's been an amazing, um, learning process for myself and the amount I think, thankfully, Kurt and I have a, a, an incredible relationship and great friendship we've built out of this now. But, I think a lot of the times he'll he'll probably calm me down when I need some calming down and I'll fire him up when he needs to maybe be a little bit more aggressive. And there's a very good balance there. And I think if you can have a partnership with someone where, you know, A, it can free you up to do what you do best. And and for me, that's focusing a lot on, on the actual sales and business development. And also some of the, the teaching and training internally to, to kind of duplicate some of the success we've seen amongst, um, you know, either new staff or younger staff that we're bringing in, maybe with not as much experience. Um, I enjoy spending, spending the time doing that. Um, I don't like being in one on ones or, or looking at, you know, better procedures to kind of run through, um, different check marks and, and outlines. And I think that, you know, you can only use your superpowers where you're really great. And for me, I've zeroed in on where I think I can add the most value to the company, but knowing that I have a, a partner in, in Kurt that can really fill in my weaknesses in in a lot of ways, um, and they're his strengths. So it's it's been a great thing, not just for the company from a success standpoint, I think, but culturally speaking as well. You know, we're, we're very well aligned on you know, this is yes, this is a company, but it, it's about having an environment where where people feel safe um they're excited to come to work they believe in the mission that that we're really driving towards and it's it's been fantastic so um, yeah, I'm yeah I'm as excited as ever for you know what we're doing and I think this next stage of growth for us I'm um, I'm really excited for I've never experienced we're now at 200 employees that's uh, a global footprint of, of employees all over the world at this point and you know I'm really good at, at some of the things I do and I'm also learning a ton as we continue to scale and continue to build this business forward. And and I'm I'm just grateful for the opportunity every single day.
1: Awesome. Well, this has been a really awesome uh, pod, man. Thank you so much for taking me to school on on this ad tech stuff. I really do think it's kind of interesting. Um, What is the best piece of business advice you've ever received?
0: Uh, That's a great question. Um, that I'm throwing a blank on right now of of <laughs> pure advice that I've gotten. I need I need to think on that for a minute. Yeah. Hope we can edit this down. Um, <laughs> I, I I think I don't know this is the greatest piece of advice, but the one thing that, that really sticks out to me. Um, especially on the free start journey, is understanding that um, as the business scales, the people on the top scale with you. And that doesn't mean that they're bad people or they were bad hires. They might have helped get you to a certain point that you're at now, but are they the right people to get you to where you're going? And entering this company, I kind of thought, hey, if you've got an A player, they're going to be able to go figure this out no matter what. Sometimes people also hit, hit a ceiling where You know, their their skill set just isn't set up for that next stage of growth. And I think while I was told that before, I didn't really appreciate it until I lived it. And not getting too caught up in the the, the personal emotional side either, because when you're in the trenches, especially as a startup and and growing and scaling, some of those people are incredibly valuable. You build incredible friendships with them. And I think being able to have that open, honest conversation with them, if that time does come where it just doesn't feel like it's the right fit anymore. I, I think approaching that in the right manner and, and being really upfront with them. I've I've also learned those people know when they're uncomfortable and they're probably in over their head. And if you can part either, either kind of get them on the right track or maybe in a different role, or if you need to part ways, they often come back saying, Hey, thank you. I've, I've landed in a better place for me today. And it really makes everyone feel better. So uh, I think that's, some of the advice I got, but I had to live through it to really understand what it meant. Yeah.
1: Now I feel like that's the case with most things with me is that I I get a lot of information that I hear and I just been like, Oh, that's what they mean. Once I just completely not really get punched in the face a couple of times, I just don't learn. I just, like, I can't listen to anything. I just have to feel the pain, I guess.
0: Um, I'm, I'm come from the same cloth. Anyway, thank you so
1: much for coming uh, on. Uh, If you guys like this episode, please subscribe. We launch an episode every Tuesday, and we're on all major platforms, Apple, YouTube, Spotify. Uh, If you like what you hear, please tell a friend, and we will see you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content.